the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. This is the 100th episode of Links and Locks, and to celebrate, we'll be showing some love to you, the listeners. If you go to Apple Podcasts and fill out a five-star review, we will select two winners to win a prize next week as a celebration of the 100th Links and Locks episode. So go ahead and do that, and we'll get you some action merch. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of the Action Network, and I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Bretwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the RSM Classic and covering a wrap-up from last week, a little Tony Finau talk. We'll do a course or courses preview. We'll talk about our best bets, then go through our cards, starting with outrights, matchups, place bets, and any other exotic bets. So let's get into it, fellas. Last week, Tony Finau with a dominant win at the Cadence Bank Houston Open, was leading by as many as eight strokes at one point, ended up winning by four strokes, dominated the course that we thought was going to play a little bit harder than it actually did. Uh, nice win for him. Unfortunately for us, Dean Burmeister did not come through. We all had some action on him. However, the Hammer Kid play did come through with Alex Smalley. Hammer Kid season. He's two for two on the show so far, so I'll, I'll take it. So before we get into Spencer's Hammer Kid play, Different, different hammer kid, but hammer still the same. Let's talk about last weekend, guys. How we do? It wasn't the best tournament for me. So I lost 1.83 units. You know, I, I discussed Adam Hadwin a little bit on the show last week and noted how my model was a, more bullish on him than it usually is. And I sent both of you that post on Saturday night when I ran my model. He was the number one player in the field, like three shots above Tony Fina when it came to ball striking. Fortunately, he couldn't get the putter going. And that was an ad that I made on Thursday night. I bet him at 200 to one. So, you know, if he could have made some putts, I might've had a chance there. I talked a little bit about wanting to get to Aaron Wise. And I probably got lucky that he got off to such a fast start because he was like five to one after Thursday night. And I'm never going to get there into the market there. And my numbers also didn't love him, but I hit him as a first round leader. That was a positive. It split three ways with Finau. Uh, the Alex Smalley play that Nick discussed, I jumped on that one. That kind of salvaged the day a little bit, but there just wasn't a lot that went right for me. Like the outright card for the most part was sour from the start. I went 0-2 on matchups and both of them, unfortunately, were against Mackenzie Hughes. And it was one of those spots where my model continued to find reasons to fade him. But the short game between the putter and the around the green metrics that he put together, like he just consistently kept beating me. And when that's the case, you know, you're just going to live with it. And kind of like, it's one of those things where I'll bet it a million times if I have to, it's just, unfortunately, like he put it all together when he needed to, but not a ton that was great from my perspective. And I guess I had a Davis Thompson call that just missed out on landing in the top 40 by one shot, which would have been a nice swing for me, but uh, the Smalley hit was nice. And the wise first round leader play at least salvaged it a little bit. How about you, Nick? Yeah, nothing special other than Alex Smalley. That was a, a big portion of my card was the top 40 ticket at plus 165. Alex Noren, I did take top 40 at minus 115. I saw a lot of markets really getting shorter on his odds. So I kind of jumped in there on a, a couple of sports books that were sleeping and, and not moving the number. But yeah, Dean Burmeister was a pretty big hit. I had 0.89 units at risk in just all things Dean Burmeister and that didn't work out. But luckily snuck away with a, a quarter unit of profit simply on Alex Smalley and Alex Noren so the the duo of Alex was really good but I mean Tony Fino just lapped the field so any outright ticket that I even considered it just wasn't even going to be close so good for Tony Fino I mean he is playing some fantastic golf and we'll talk about Tony Fino in just a moment my card was mostly outrights last week none of them included Tony Fino so went over there Davis Riley Harris English Saleh Gala. And Jason Day didn't come through, uh, but I'll have some of them on my card, both for and against them this week. Uh, also had Dean Burmeister top 20, which wasn't even close. But this week I've got more plays that aren't outrights, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I also added after the show ended, I found a line on Hideki Matsuyama to finish outside of the top 27. And he ended up withdrawing, I think, early on Saturday. So that one hit. And then I did add a little Tony Fina live. So that that was a nice little hit um, later on. No huge numbers or anything, but I'm pretty bullish on Tony Finau 
And as a guy who has elite length off the tee, who's really solid on approach and the putting and just the high pressure play has been an issue for him in the past. It seems like that guy is gone and he's replaced him with a dude who's won three times in the last seven events. And he was the odds on favorite to win this week. When odds opened up, he was around nine to 10 to one on various books and no one else was under 20 to one this week, but he withdrew today citing an injury. Didn't look injured last week to me, but who knows when you have, when you're holding up all these trophies every week, your arms might get tired. So maybe he needed a little break this week. Um, but anyway, that means the course is wide open this week for a winner at some longer odds. So I'm pretty excited about this tournament. There's not going to be one person who wrecks my outright card like last week. Uh, but before we get into that, what do you guys think about Tony Finau's upside? Are there any futures, any specific majors you think he might have a chance at more than others? Any times you might want to play him knowing that maybe the, the switch has flipped for him now? Um, I personally bet him after I think his first or second win in this last seven tournament stretch in which he's played to win the Masters at 50 to one. I looked on that same book. He was 28 to one today. So Closing line value is great. Doesn't really mean anything if it doesn't hit. But wanted to know what you guys were thinking about Tony Finau and how you might play on or against him going forward. If we date this back to, let's say, 2017, 2018, when I was really putting my model into motion and running numbers and doing all the information that I was putting into it, Tony Finau was a golfer for the longest time. That would be number one on my sheet. He's outside the top 30 in the world at that time. And you know, this has been a long time coming, which with what you said, Roberto, he, we know all of us, we all know that he has the potential to do what he's been doing. It just never come to fruition, whether it be because he can't close on Sunday or, or something goes wrong, or it just, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't come ever into play for him. But I love Tony Finau's game. I, I think that if he can ever get past it, and the one problem that I still notice with him is, Sometimes he's not as aggressive off the tee as he needs to be. He puts the driver in the bag. And I've noticed that like specifically on par fives when he needs to close out golf tournaments, for whatever reason, like he'll carry it 270 and end up in the rough. And, you know, he ends up parring the hole when everybody else makes birdie and it goes in reverse in that sense of it. But I mean, I, I whether it's the masters or the U S open or the PGA championship, like I think all of those venues stack up really well for his game, just because he is such an all around complete player. Um, I think, unfortunately, now you've probably missed the boat unless you find a book that is slow to move something like we've seen him win what now three times or four times, whatever it is in the past couple of months. So, you know, it's one of those things where the public, when they're aware of what's going on, you're unfortunately going to lose out on the numbers. And we're seeing that right now. But be patient with it. There's ebbs and flows to the market all the time. And I wouldn't be surprised if Finau ends up drifting a little bit more over the next couple months. Cause I think people at the end of the day still have questions whether he can win a major or not, but I really like Tony Finau's game at the end of the day. Like even at 28 to one at the masters, that's a reduced field where like 20 players from the very start probably have zero win equity to begin that tournament. It's a really good setup for him to potentially put it together. So I don't mind that price, but I'd be a little bit more aware in these other markets, like to where if you've missed too much of the movement there, you're probably behind the eight ball. You mentioned some of the frustration that people have had with him because he does possess that high ceiling. We know he has the potential. He's still, even though he doesn't have a win in a major, I believe he has 10 top tens in 25 major starts, which is still really impressive. Nick, any other thoughts on Tony Finau? Yeah. I mean, just, just overall it's, it, Obviously, it doesn't take a genius to know that he's playing insanely good golf, but he had the best ball striking round he's had since, I think, the 3M Open this year, and the, or the Rocket Mortgage Classic and the 3M Open. He won those both back-to-back. -back. So if his iron play, I mean, it's it's always good, but if it's elite, it seems like what he's doing with the putter lately, it's been the best he's ever put the golf ball, I guess, last year and this year since 2018 when he was a walking top 10 almost at every tournament. Couldn't get across the finish line and get a trophy, but... If his putter's this good, I, I think I, I love your price that you got 50 to one at the Masters. I think that's fantastic. He's always been relatively good at Augusta as well, but he's plenty long off the tee. He's hitting a ton of fairways this year, too, and last year. So like Spencer said, I, I would like him to be a little more aggressive off the tee because he's damn near deadly accurate with that thing and plenty long. But what I'm most impressed about is what he's doing with the putter because he's always been a great ball striker. But obviously right now when he's striking a great what he does with his putter, the improvements he's made with his putter over the past few years, 
clearly shows how talented of a golfer is he, as he is because he damn near lapped the field last weekend and it's just great putting and obviously every other aspect of his game is in fantastic form right now so should be a great fit at augusta no doubt yeah and i removed him from my model so i don't have like the stats up for this week but if you look at this tournament specifically you know tony feenhouse a golfer that was outside the top 75 outside the top 100 in almost any single field that you looked at when it came to strokes game putting a couple years ago he was inside the top 25 this week for this specific event. And there's a lot of really good putters that are in this field. You have shorter players like, you know, the Kevin Kisners and the Brendan Todds and all these guys that are your quality putters on tour. And Fina was still inside the top 25 there. So I think that kind of goes to Nick's point of because the putter has turned around, we know that the short game when it comes to around the green touch has been magnificent. And that's why I've always liked them at a course like Augusta, because he does have that part of his game. And some of the three putt percentage he can work around just because he is a good lag putter. But, uh, you know, if you can tell me that he's going to make putts now and if he's going to stay aggressive off the tee or can get aggressive off the tee, the sky is the limit for what he can produce. And I think one of the fun parts about betting on golf is you have this one aspect of a guy's game that might click and you can ascend to being potentially number one in the world after not really winning, as we saw with Scotty Scheffler this year. And whereas in other sports like Michael Jordan had to get through the Pistons to get to the finals or all these guys have to go and earn their way in the playoffs and take their lumps before they can get there, even if they are the best player in the world and their respective team sports and golf, you can still get that big payout after one thing switches. And if you think someone has the upside to be a fit at a course where the majors at next year and they're winning a golf trimmer, they're running away with it on a Thursday or Friday or on a Friday or Saturday, maybe take a peek at some of those odds on your book. Cause oftentimes the odds for the masters and other majors are up throughout tournaments and you can maybe find a good line, which is how I got the 50 to one on Tony Finau. Uh, so can't help to look, let's get into this week's tournament, the RSM classic there in sea Island, Georgia. It is a tournament at multiple courses because we have fallen back, fallen back with respect to time. So there's less daylight every day, which means that if they're going to have a field with 155 players, I think this is the biggest field of the fall. They're not going to be able to do it on one course and get everybody in each day. So they're doing it on multiple courses on Friday and Thursday this week. And then so each day players will play either at the seaside course or the plantation course. And then on the weekend, they'll play the seaside course. They'll play the seaside course three times in total and the plantation course one time. We have data on the seaside course from a while back. This has been a course that's been in the rotation for, I think, 17-ish years, 20 years. Um, it's been a while. So all these guys have tournament history for the most part. Spencer, what are you most looking at in your model this week when you look at the courses? So we see players at 70% of fairways. And this answer, by the way, that I'm going to give is for Sea Island Golf Club. We'll talk a little bit about the plantation course, but we see players at 70% of fairways, which is 9% above average. Um, I'm going to say that they're very easy to locate because they are wider than average, but it will be necessary since the field connects on 80% of their greens and regulation when hitting their approach shots from the short grass. That total ranks as highly as any course on tour. You know, that's a very basic expectation from any standpoint that you want to look at it. But the one main difference this week that we need to be aware of from a game theory perspective, like Roberto just mentioned, is that players will be forced to play either their Thursday or Friday rounds on the secondary plantation course. That adds a more challenging wrinkle to handicap statistically since rotational events change what is being asked from the field between days. And we see that by looking at a par 70 versus par 72 difference of four par fives versus two. I'm okay with adding extra impact on par five scoring if you want to elaborate more on that data, but I decided against it because the weekend rounds will be at the primary venue. I don't know how much good it does to handicap a course that doesn't come into play when things pick up for the weekend. Wind is going to play a factor, which is one of the reasons I graded it in my model. And then we have an eye-popping nine par fours that measure between 400 to 450 yards. I'll call it 10 for the sake of my research since one is just outside at 452. But it's one of the reasons we see a consolidated emphasis on approach shots from 125 to 175 yards, a distance that produces an 8.5% increase from your standard course. That shorter range would lead you to believe that approach play will lead to a ton of tap and birdies. But it hasn't been the case historically with an 8.3% increase of putts getting made from 10 feet and beyond than we are accustomed to on tour. I'd consider that a little troublesome when building models because it suggests a putting contest. 
the one thing I'll say to that is we do get a steady distribution of anticipated yardages repeatedly. Maybe that will heighten the median output total since we do know quality putters will see a boost since we don't have as many pinpoint accurate se second shots that take place here. But, you know, it's a tough venue and I'm sure Nick is going to elaborate this on a little bit more in a second too. Like the way I see it is you need to hit the fairway to be able to produce or at least to hit a green regulation and give yourself a chance. But the problem is the approach shots don't necessarily get you as close as you would like to. So you have players hitting putts from 10 to 20 feet, which is what then turns this into a putting contest. So it's like a reduction of iron play and enhancement or off the tee specifically from an accuracy sense, and then an increase in putting, but not from like a core range of 10 feet and in from 10 feet and beyond. So like, there's a lot of really weird quirks that you don't normally get out of venue and a lot of that kind of at the end of the day turns into find me really good putters on Bermuda. And that's not specifically how I like to build a model. So it's a weird tournament in that sense. Nick, anything to add there? I will echo everything Spencer said. We talked about it a little bit offline too. I think like overall, Spencer, maybe you were kind of beating around the bush to say this, but it's kind of a luck fest on the greens, I think too. Obviously you got to be great Bermuda putter. Sure. That's, that makes a lot of sense, but proximities aren't very predictable. Like I, my models waiting approach shots from, you know, 75 to 175 in that range. So multiple club range. So it's like, it's tough to really spin down to who, I, like what I value most. So I think just hitting fairways is obviously cr very crucial. Um, being a good putter is going to be very crucial. That's kind of any golf tournament. If you're putting lights out, you're going to be in contention. It's tough. And then uh, I think scrambling too, if you do miss the greens, getting it up and down close, getting it within 10 feet to get a tap in to save par, I think that's going to be pretty important this week. So it is pretty tough to kind of have an edge this week, in my opinion, on what I really like, but I guess well-rounded golfers. I know that's kind of a weird answer, but I'll, there's tournaments where you get bomb and gouge. There's tournaments where you just need people only to hit the fairways and they're going to find success that way. But I think this this week is just kind of overall like just good golfing when you get into trouble you got to scramble and, and find a way to save pars and i think that's kind of what my model spit out this week in terms of what players it really likes can i add one thing to that very quickly before we move into our bets go for it so one of the things i did in my model and i put a 30 percent weight on this and that would be weighted putting plus weighted proximity so i ran my weighted proximity through all the ranges so that would be from zero yards all the way up the core emphasis that got put into it was mostly from 125 to 175. There was a slight increase from that lesser range that Nick is talking about. But essentially what I tried to pinpoint in my model is guys that were going to be good from the anticipated ranges that we had this week. And then find me the putters that were going to be most likely to take advantage of those chances. So a 30% weight is really large for me. I don't normally go that high in anything that's not weighted T to green, but primarily the model turned into like find me the approach players with upside and find me the good putters that are going to make putts from there and you know you would be surprised on some of these guys that are not your prototypical good iron players like like a Denny McCarthy or a Brendan Todd they really shot up in my model when I ran it like that because it is a shorter distance that we're looking from from approach play I think that's why a golfer like Kevin Kisner, I know we keep going back to him or I keep going back to him, but it's a reason why he's consistently found success at this tournament. But it's a unique way to try to build a, a, a model that I don't think many people are going to take that route with it. And, you know, it's like find me guys who can create opportunities at the end of the day. So, guys, this is our last opportunity to bet a full field event before the new year on PJ Tour. So with that being said, 155 players in the field this week might not have as good value with big numbers in the next couple of weeks. What are your best plays for the week this week? Nick, do you want to start us off? No, oh, I can't. I don't know if I have one. I, I guess if I had, <laughs> if I had to force a play for DGen Nation here. Oh man, I'll go Harris English top forty. The best price you can get right now on the market, I believe, is plus 110, and I don't like that. That is super short. I, I would make it a hammer kit play, but that's just that's a cop-out. I can't take odds that short. Um, but he's coming into form right now. Good Bermuda putter. Grades out pretty much very well for my predictive stats. I know the iron play over the last couple months is not good, but he's trending in the right direction. I believe, Roberto, you've been talking about on the past couple shows, just hinting that you like where his game's at. I'm going to go Harris English top 40 and then punt the football because that is kind of a cop-out play. So I will mute and go back to you guys. But Harris English, top 40, plus 110. 
we're not a big narrative podcast, but Harris English is, I believe, a Sea Island resident and also a Georgia Bulldog. So he's got oh, that's just per- yeah, it's a lock then. Yeah, hammer kid it. Go ahead. Fire away. <laughs> Spencer. I like I, I like Harris English this week. So kind of like we keep alluding to, we've talked about this, I feel like every single tournament that Harris English has been in since we've started this show together, the three of us. We needed to see an improvement in the iron play. When I look at the weighted proximity for this course, he's 33rd in my model. Even if you date this back to like a month ago, he was outside the top 120 for whatever tournament that was that we were looking for. You know, some of the weighted putting and, you know, Nick called it a luck filled putting contest. He's number one in my model in putting from 20 feet and beyond. I mean, that to me, that is like the Jordan Spieth recipe of put yourself behind 20 feet and, you know, hope that the putt rolls in and, I like the play. None of us are going to be that narrative street of like, this is his hometown. This is a course he's aware of. And this is a course that he likes, but I do think it matters a little bit when we're talking about these inferior fields. And I think English's game is in the right direction right now that there's probably more safety with him than there's been since he was winning tournaments like a year ago. Yeah. The number wasn't right for me this week to play Harris English, but I still am very bullish on him overall as he continues to run into form and the approach play continues to improve. Spencer, what's your best bet for this week? I kind of agree with Nick. Unfortunately, this is a super volatile board where uh, we'll talk about it a little bit when, at least when I get into like the head, the head market, because I think that market in general has been reduced even more than any of the rest of these. And, there are some red flags that have come into play. And so for that reason, it's not going to be a head to head that I mentioned this week. And it's a play that is about as gross as you can get on the board, but I'm going to take my value of where I see it. And and the one thing I do want to point out really quickly before I give that answer, I did like this tournament from an outright betting perspective before Tony Finau withdrew. Unfortunately, all these numbers have been reduced and it's, you know, it's now a chasing game where I don't think you're going to find any of these prices that any of us are going to mention. So That's one thing to keep in mind, but for my best play, as gross as this sounds, I'm going to take Ryan Armour top 40 at plus 230. If we take the seven times Armour has played this event since 2014, and then we begin to highlight how he entered the tournament from his start before the RSM, we start getting this trend, which we've all said we're not really into these trends and narratives, but it starts to show that anytime that he enters this tournament in bad form, it's equal to miscut. And then the good performances that he has provided have resulted in top 40 finishes at the track. So of the three times Armour has generated a top 55 finish at the tournament before Sea Island, he hasn't finished worse than 37th place at the RSM. And so when we look at that, there's back-to-back top 27 results that are boosting him in my model. My model believes he should be plus 150 versus plus 230. So there's an 80-point difference there. We're talking about a 10% implied probability difference that's a noticeable thing like I don't want to give this play and try to tell everybody like oh this is a lock to win my model thinks it's going to win 40 percent of the time we're getting odds that dictate that we only need to hit it 30 percent of the time to break even that's a really big difference at the end of the day it doesn't mean that the play ends up winning and you know we we can find problems with it like sure there's a birdie making potential that's always capped for him but the fact that the venue produces fewer tap and birdies should mean that he's able to take advantage of his Bermuda putting acumen from 10 feet and beyond. That's a range where he and Harry Hall ranked inside the top 50 for each five foot increment stretching from 10 to 15 feet all the way up to 25 feet and higher. I, I think at the end of the day, this hasn't been a tournament that he's historically been good with the putter. That is one of like the interesting things because he is a good Bermuda putter on the surface. Like at least historically, that's been where he's found his most success. But if you take the seven tournaments, he's lost negative 0.70 shots per start with the flat stick. That's not necessarily something that I love, but four straight appearances gaining strokes off the tee at Sea Island, five of seven where he's gained with his approach at this venue. I think that we've realized through everything that I kind of just stated there, any time that he enters this event with good form, he's giving you some semblance of a good return at the end of the day. And this isn't a wager, and this is kind of what I like about it the most. This isn't a wager where you need to break the bank to put a bet in on it. Like I'm going to do 0.50 units to win 1.15. It's a really reduced card for me at the end of the day. Like I kind of have a lot on the outright sector, but other than that, there's not going to be a ton that I have. So I'm taking a shot there. I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to realize that less than 50% of the times, like we'll call it 60% of the time, according to my model, this bet will lose, but we are getting the correct price, at least according to my math, to place a wager here. I like it. And at the Action Network, we have a lot of models that 
will spit out situational spots where this game fits this trend, et cetera, et cetera. And we normally do at least a 3% edge to bet it and to give out that pick to other people. So a 10% edge is very significant uh, for those of you who may not be familiar. So I really like that play. I'm going to go with Matthew Neesmith to finish 55th or better at minus 120 on bet 365. This is a guy who has been playing some of the best golf on the fall swing. He's not a very accurate driver, but he is great. He's been playing great on approach recently. And even though he's not long, his lack, his lack of distance is mitigated here. And Spencer, you mentioned you want to be accurate off the tee. You want to be, you always want to be good on approach. And he finished T53rd last week on a course that's a little bit a little bit longer than a lot of the other ones we played in the fall. And he finished T53rd over there in Houston. But before that, he had three consecutive top nine finishes in the fall. Additionally, he's got good course history here. This is a course that, or a tournament that doesn't necessarily have the most stable year-to-year history. But he's finished T29 or better in all three of his starts here. You've got the little narrative play where he is a Southerner from South Carolina, went to University of South Carolina. Uh, I considered betting him to, w- to win outright, but especially after Finau withdrew, the number just wasn't right. He started the week around 50 to one, and I've seen him as short as 25 to one. So a lot of sharps are on him. And although he doesn't have a win on the PGA Tour, I'm not going to bet him anywhere near 25 to one to win any tournament in the near future. But to finish 55th or better in this field, I like it a lot. He could win the tournament. It wouldn't surprise me, but I like the number at minus 120 to finish 55th or better. And there are a lot of bets available for, I think, about a third of the field on Bet365 where you can pick them to finish better or worse than a certain number. That's going to be a popular play or a popular segment for me in this podcast. I really like that market in general, just to give some credit to Bet365 before we move on. I will also have a player play when we go into that section, but uh, as far as Neesmith goes, anytime that we get these shorter venues, I think that his win equity increases. That doesn't mean, like you said, that he's going to necessarily win the tournament. I'm, I don't think that he has the proper odds at 25 to one to do so. But I think when we're talking about him to come in, you know, the top 50 something of this field, that's something that's really doable for a golfer that's trending in the right direction. And historically, he's been really good at this track. And you also mentioned that you want to bet on guys who are well-rounded. And this is a guy who doesn't have any one huge weakness. He's not long, but it's not like he's super short like a Brendan Todd either. So with that, let's get into our outright plays. Spencer, you mentioned you had a couple plays that you're excited about. Yeah, so I unfortunately took a really aggressive approach pre-tournament with this outright board. The one play I will note is I wanted to bet Keith Mitchell before I saw his number come out at 35-1. to I couldn't get myself there at that price, but unfortunately the withdrawal of Fina has ruined all the prices in this market. So it's hard to talk about a board when 10% of the projected win equity got removed and transferred elsewhere. But I started with a play at 22 to one, which is going to make both of you guys cringe right now. And I understand that. And Nick has heard this so many times from me that I I didn't know who it is. I think he's (laughs) sick of hearing the Brian Harmon story, but I bet Brian Harmon at 22 to one. I did see this as high as 25 to one before the female withdrawal. So maybe you can find something that's slow to move. I doubt it at this point. He seems to be more in that 16 to 20 to one range, but my model continues to love his upside potential every week. Books have done their best and they were doing their best even before Fina pulled out of this tournament to try and price everyone out at that total. But I tend to believe that the lack of name stature has prevented him from entering his true range since it's hard to stomach the idea of Harmon at sub 20 to one in any field. We obviously are going to get more of that now after the removal of the favorite, but Harmon's 19 consecutive rounds are par better ranks number one in my model. And the Bermuda putting increase is noticeable enough that he jumped into a playable territory on this surface. The second play I'm going to mention here, which I don't think you've ever heard this from me on any podcast that I've ever done before. And this is going right along the lines with what I said with Adam Hadwin last week. I took Denny McCarthy at 40 to one. And it reminds me a lot of the Hadwin situation since my model never likes McCarthy or Hadwin because of their questionable returns in many of the key metrics that I attach a weight to weekly. That's something I even mentioned on the show last week when I brought up Hadwin and I brought up McCarthy next to him saying that my model never likes him. And when it does, that means something to me at the end of the day, but the extra emphasis that I placed on putting and the recalculated data that I ran for weighted proximity had my model suggesting that McCarthy's upside was the best of anyone in this field. 
I didn't start this week thinking that that was going to be the case. And by the way, it liked his upside even better when, when Fina was in the field, like it, it thought he was fine even then to win this tournament. So uh, he's the only golfer in the top 30 of every category I attached to weight to this week. And I think this is probably his best chance he's ever had to win a golf tournament. So I like it at 40 to one. I mean, if you're going to find less probably out there at this point, but I'm even fine playing it lower. Like my model thinks an accurate price is in the lower twenties. And that's kind of unforeseeable to say on a podcast for a guy who's never won before, but I think any price that you find will be doable. I grabbed Matt Kuchar at 50 to one. My model did have negative trajectory for his upside, which probably makes sense when we consider where Kuchar's at at this point in his career, but three top 30 finishes to begin the season. And he ranks second in my model when it came to strokes gain total on Bermuda over the past 50 rounds. I had that closer to 45 to one. I took Andrew Putnam 55 to one. That was the best value that I had on the board. I had this appropriately priced when Finau was at in the field at 35 to one. And when I ran it for upside, he was closer to 30 to one. He's been brilliant with 11 straight made cuts and his top 15 output totals for weighted putting plus weighted proximity and strokes gain total on easy, short and Bermuda courses landed him in the group next to Harmon, McCarthy, Rose, Montgomery, Hoagie and Kuchar for the only players in this field to produce metrics inside the top 20 for each category. I know you just mentioned him a second ago, Roberto. I took Brendan Todd at 60 to one. It's a very similar answer for what I just said with Putnam. The upside numbers look really good. The form is trending and the Bermuda putting is magnificent for a profile that graded well in weighted proximity and total driving. And then the two deep long shots that I took this week were JT Poston at a hundred to one and Adam Svensson at 160 to one. What'd you like about those long shots? So I will say this, I think both technically grade better as first round leader bets because of their severe volatility in my model. But when my model spat it out that they were top 25 win equity options when they reached their max output, I think that that's really intriguing for two guys that when this is a wide open tournament that we're calling a putting contest. So, you know, at the end of the day, those seven names stacked my card pre-tournament to the tune of 1.12 units to win roughly eight on each. But I like this outright board. I mean, I liked it more before Finau ruined things on the back end of it, but I was willing to take more of a chance and I'm probably going to be willing to even jump in for a little bit more when everything begins on Thursday, because this mixed course setup is going to present an opportunity that maybe there's a book out there that isn't going to price things correctly after day one at, in my mind, and I will run numbers to make sure that this is correct. I would think that your one off day on the plantation course would be your chance to score easier because you have four par fives. So I think any player that can put themselves somewhat in range and then they get the plantation course on Friday might be a really good bettable opportunity to consider there. I think that scores will be more likely to go lower there because of that. But I mean, as far as, as uh, Poston and Svensson are concerned, just to give like a little bit more of an answer to that, it just comes down to upside versus any everything else with it. Like there's a ton of miscut equity that's going to come into play. I would be aware of that if they miss this cut, like don't be shocked if that happens, but we need outright bets to shoot for the moon. And these are two guys that are two of the highest climbers that I have when trying to find win equity in this tournament. I like it. I think that strategy of betting players potentially after the first round, depending on which course they're at, makes a lot of sense. And if you want to do first round leader bets, look at if they're available. Not every book's going to have them available because of that reason. But if you can find it, maybe target some of those players on the plantation course because they have those par fives available. Quickly, just since you mentioned it, I'll throw out a couple of plays that I don't think every book has this. Bet365 mm-hmm. is one of the ones that I've seen. That would be options like Justin Rose at 60 to 1, Keith Mitchell at 55 to 1. Kevin Kisner at 66 to one, Ryan Armour, 125 to one, Adam Svensson, 110 to one. Those are guys that are on Thursday that are going to get the plantation course. And I think that there is more upside that's going to be presented for that reason. And most books will likely split up the two locations and it's going to ruin the board when that happens. But there may be some shops that are not aware of it and price everybody together. Spencer's been hot on these first round leaders. So if you like any of those, I like them too. Nick, what are your outright plays this week? Uh, well, Harris English at 65 to one has left the station since Finau has dropped out or withdrew, I should say. So that, I mean, almost everything I have, like Spencer said, the the outright market's kind of gone now. Um, I did like Davis Riley a ton at 50 to one. I believe that's down to 40 to one at all books. I know Roberto, you've been on him too. So maybe I'm just playing all the guys you liked the past couple of weeks. I think you're on to something, but Davis Riley grades very well for me. 
I still think I would take it at 40, but I'm never going to advocate anybody to chase a bad number. I think if, you know, this is a great weekend to not force the bet. I did take a terrible, terrible dart throw on Joseph Bramlett at 250 to one. I think he is the worst Bermuda putter in the field, but he did finish top 10 last week. And I like this guy's upside, especially on the easier course with the par fives, because that's where uh, I think Bramlett can make some birdies and maybe an eagle or two and make the cut. And we'll just see what happens. But yeah, I, I think Harris English and, and Davis Riley would be my top two favorites, um, but those numbers are gone, so it's kind of irrelevant for this podcast. And I do like Keith Mitchell, but 100% what, what Spencer said, there's kind of just no value in those numbers in the in the low 30s, if not the upper 20s now. Yeah, Bramlett is the worst-rated Bermuda putter that I have in my model, <laughs> so Nick it. was correct with that. And the one thing I will say— I just like the guy. That's probably a good week to take first round layers because you get inflated odds on all the guys that we'd probably take outright anyway. So I think that's maybe a, a good way to do it. But for what it's worth, Bramlett has been hitting fairways this past two rounds. So maybe he's on to something. I know what I was going to say very quickly, and I'll throw it out there just to put it out there into the space. So a number being gone, which is what you were alluding to, Nick, is obviously a negative. You never want to chase the wrong side of something. I think this is a little bit different this week, just a little bit, in the sense that you remove the projected 10% of the win equity with Tony Finau, so the numbers have to go somewhere. Now, here's the problem with that. Markets are very unforgiving when it comes to betters. They're going to overly juice a lot of these prices for what the true win equity is, and we're seeing that a little bit even with Brian Harmon as much as I like him. Like, I see him down at like 14, 15, 16, the one at shops. Like he shouldn't have moved. I think he was wrong to begin with, but in their mind, they priced him at 22 to one originally thinking that that was a fine number. Now all of a sudden Finau's removed himself from the tournament and he's dropped to like 15 to one. So you have to be aware of where some of these movements have taken place because at the end of the day, you do run into problems with them overjuicing these prices and holding too much hold percentage with it. But I think it's at least noteworthy that some of these minor movements you can get around. Like, I don't know if Davis Riley necessarily becomes that answer. Maybe it is. Um, but I'm less concerned with some of the movements if you like the guy and you thought there was value before. Spencer, yeah. there were two guys or two bets that just missed my card or that I'm still considering, honestly. I haven't priced them out. I just went into the player market pretty aggressively this week. And so I didn't feel as strongly about these as other ones, but you might be talking me into it. And those two bets are Brendan Todd at minus 120 to finish 70th or better and Denny McCarthy to finish 53rd or better at the same price of minus 120. I like Denny McCarthy a little bit better because I thought he had a higher floor, even though it is a shorter number 53rd rather than 70th. But with this being an emphasis on putting more so than you would ever see, at least in your model, I think that would carry some weight for me and I might end up pressing that one. Uh, I'm still on the fence about Brendan Todd just because some recent form has me feeling a little bit more questionable. Um, but my best bets, at least for outrights, I only have two on the card this week. I bet them at better numbers. So I didn't want to add more to the card for the podcast here, but I bet Tom Hoagie at plus 2,500. I bet him in his last start at Mayakoba and he got off to a solid start. He shot 400 in the first round, but he shot a 73 in the second round to miss the cut. And I think we're getting a little bit of value because of that missed cut. It was really just one round that was pretty poor that could be end up being an outlier. And in his previous four starts in the fall, he hadn't finished worse than 13th in the tournament. And he's been well above average on putting approach and driving accuracy. Spencer, I think you said he was one of the players that ranked in the top 20 in all of your um, weighting in each category. And he's had some success on some of these multi-course tournaments. I don't really factor that in too much more of a fun fact um he finished tied for fourth here last year solo second at the american express winner as we know at pebble beach another shorter coastal track where weather can play a, a part so i really like tom hoagie i think that his just elite play on approach is something that i valued a lot and it's something that he shares in common with joel damon who i found at 3500 out there uh tom hoagie at plus 2500 was on bet 365 by the way um joel damon has the sizzling approach play that tom hoagie has and he's also an accurate driver of the golf ball he's been well above average in three tournaments with shot link since the fortinet when he just 
absolutely played terribly. Uh, and he's been above average in driving accuracy in all six tournaments this fall, including the Fortinet. I think he can be in contention this week if he just stays solid off the tee and on approach. And one of his big weaknesses is his putting along with driving distance. Driving distance is mitigated this week. And even though he isn't a great putter overall, he's gained strokes with the putter in this tournament each of the last two years. So I think he's got a potential to putt above his weight class this week. And I think it gives him the chance to win outright at 35 to one. I like those plays. And, and you mentioned Brendan Todd on uh bet three, six, five to come 70th or better. And we're going to do some live bets on air right now with this. Cause I looked at this market before Fina withdrew. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know how you can come up with this answer or how this has gone in the opposite direction, but uh, Brendan Todd, I believe was 51st or better. Wow. All of a sudden, Fina withdraws from the tournament and now he's 70th or better. And we see similar trajectories here with most of these players that have boosted. So, you know, Brendan Todd, 70th or better. Matt Kuchar, 61st or better. Denny McCarthy, which you mentioned, 53rd or better. Andrew Putnam, 57th or better. I think all of those prices on Bet365, I I don't understand why they have shifted as drastically as they have. Like, I looked at Putnam and I want to say Putnam was... 40th or something and i was gonna bet putnam as a top 40 play at plus 100 you're telling me that you can find him on bet 365 at 57th or better at minus 120 i prefer that route denny mccarthy shifted from like the high 30s or low 40s to 53rd kuchar made the same movement there so i really like that todd kuchar mccarthy putnam round on bet 365 if you have access to that website i'll keep it going with that market i've got my other four bets this week um i mean we mentioned the matthew neesmith play so let's get into players that I don't like this week or not necessarily that I don't like. I'm just don't love their floor this week. And Davis Riley is one of them. I think he could win the tournament this week. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I definitely have some FOMO and if he's in contention, I'll probably place a wager on him, but the putter is a concern for me and it's a big field. Even if it's not a super strong field, it's a big field. And to have him finish 17th or worse, I think there's, just a lot that has to go right for him to finish inside of the top 16. And he actually hasn't had a top 16 finish since the Wyndham in early August when he finished tied for 13th. And that's the only finish that he's had in the top 16 since the Memorial tournament in June, when he was still on an absolute heater on approach. And even though he has done above average on approach so far this fall, he's not gaining two or three strokes. Um, He's not gaining as significant of strokes as he was back when he was on that heater early in the spring I just don't think that he's priced correctly in this specific market because of that. And it should be probably closer to 30th and his driving distance advantage is also mitigated here. So I don't love the course fit for him. And I just think the number's too strong, even though I am bullish on Davis Riley overall, I also have another player to not do as well as projected. And that's Taylor Pendrith. Someone I've also bet on outright in the fall. I have him to finish 20th or worst at minus minus one twenty. All these are on bet three, six, five. He's been slumping nothing better than a T 44 in four starts on the fall swing. And he's lost strokes around the green and on the greens in all four of them. So this is a guy who, if we're going to have win a putting contest would really surprise me. And if other guys who aren't as elite as him ball striking, get hot with the putter, I think they can pass him up and it's going to be tough for him to finish 20th or better or 19th or better. And He's also super long. We know that, but that also is being mitigated this week and his driving accuracy is slightly below average. His approach game was on fire last year, but he hasn't been in great form there either. And for course history, he was T26 last year when he had his best putting week that has ever been tracked ever. If he doesn't have that great putting, he finishes lower than that. And I think he'd be priced even lower. So I really like Taylor Pendrith to finish 20th or worse. And then my final bet here in this market is guess who? Jason Day to finish 45th or better at minus 120 at bet 365. Another guy whom we talked about, you want to have the all-around game. He doesn't really have a weakness in his game right now. The approach game has been elite. He could win this week. I just didn't love the number, which is why I didn't punch the outright ticket. But if he's in contention, there's a very high probability that I will be placing a live wager on him. He's finished tied for 21st or better in his last four starts since the beginning of October. And he's Jason Day. He's going to get the job done for us this week. Roberto, I mean, like, 
first of all, I love all three of those plays that you just mentioned, but I think that that's the point that I'm trying to make here. I don't understand the movement that we've seen in this market. So Davis Riley, 17th or worse, Pendrith 20th or worse. Those are two guys that are behind on the outright board in pretty much any head to head wager that you can find. Jason day would be the favorite. All of a sudden, Jason day 45th or better. Like it doesn't make sense. I don't know what bet three, six, five is doing this week. I, I think that almost every single play makes some sense. Like I'm not going to, bet it or recommend it on here even brian Harmon, like ninth or better doesn't necessarily make sense i really like him he's number one in my model we're starting to reach the point of absurdity with some of these prices that we're getting on these on these numbers here and that's maybe not the first one that i'm gonna run to because i do like his upside but i really like trying to fade like a riley or a pendrith or taking a day putnam mccarthy or kuchar todd type of combination for their upside so if you have access to bet 365 really good market this week and I'll also add, if you have access to Bet365 and several other books out there, there are arbitrage opportunities out there. Yes. For example, Taylor Pendrith to finish 20th or worse, as I said, minus 120 here. I'm looking at just the first book I looked at. For him to finish in the top 20, plus 225. So maybe you've got to finish exactly 20th, but you could potentially get a double dip there. But that's free money that's on the table. So if you have access... Shop around this week, especially if you have Bet365. Look at some of these odds and try to find a way uh, to make it work. And whether that's just betting this or going with the arbitrage play where it is essentially riskless and maybe you can even find a middle, I think there's a lot of value out there. Guys, any other uh, place markets or top 20, top 40 bets? Two real quick to to round out the card, and then uh, I think that's it for me. But Spencer, uh, sorry, Spencer, Steven Yeager, the German Hammer, top 40, uh, the best price right now is plus 155. And then Robbie Shelton, top 40 at plus 220. That'll kind of round out my card, that with Harrison English. You hear German Hammer, Hammer Kid, Spencer. Right. We, know who the real, we know who the <laughs> real originator of the Hammer Kid is. You just wanted to give me credit right away for it. That's right. Yeah, what do you got? No, I mean, I, I don't this week. I, I agree with you, unfortunately, at the end of the day. Like the one play that I will throw out there and I'll move markets just very quickly. It would be a head-to-head wager that intrigued me this week. That would be Matt Kuchar minus 120 over Taylor Moore. Here's the problem with it. And I just want to give one little statement. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on this in the out, or in the head-to-head market this week. But, you know, that's always been my bread and butter. But it worries me a little when it comes to these boards we've gotten over these past few weeks. As betters, we need to have a few things to be successful. And I've noticed some alarming trends during the offseason that I didn't see as pronounced be- before the past few weeks. It could be the lack of attention books are paying to the sport because of football. You know, maybe perhaps they're tired of the early money taking advantage of these spots. But we need more places that aren't stacking the cards in their favor with massively juice lines that are cherry picked over by the time they release late in the week. That's kind of my one big concern in the head-to-head market right now. And this Kuchar over Taylor Moore play, here's the problem with it. I like Moore this week, which probably reduces some of the miscut equity I'm looking to make on these wagers. It's similar to what happened last weekend between Davis Riley and Mackenzie Hughes, where my model wanted exposure to Riley, but didn't necessarily want it against Hughes. But I like this wager a little bit more for a few reasons. So for starters of golfers price 60 to one or less, Kuchar is the third most mispriced choice I have behind Andrew Putnam and Brendan Todd. The one big difference there is Kuchar really jumps for me when it comes to safety. That means a lot for me in a matchup. And while Moore carries a very similar trajectory in that sense, which is one of the reasons why I keep kind of mentioning the hesitation that I have around this play, he does it in a way that generates comparable numbers, but almost in an inferior sense to a choice like Kuchar, since the numerical data does the identical orbit throughout my sheet, but never quite reaches the same output level. And what I mean by that is, and and I know that's kind of a convoluted answer I just gave, is Kuchar cracks the top 12 in win equity while providing top 10 safety marks, where my model expects a top 40 to be well within Moore's range, but the ceiling never quite gets to where it challenges tangible win equity. So I had minus 135 being a fair price. We're only looking at about a 2.9% implied advantage on this from a long-term outlook. That's usually not the range that I want to fit in to make a wager, but with it being my favorite head-to-head play on the board, and I always try to give a head-to-head play that I like, that would be the favorite play that I've seen currently on the market. And there's going to be books that are going to enter over the next couple of days. But, um, you know, I think you have about a 15 point edge there. If you want to call it a 2.9% advantage, I like it's noteworthy enough to where I'm comfortable saying it, even though I wouldn't say it's the greatest play I've ever seen before, just because I do like more. 
Guys, any final plays before we get out of here? Not for me. That's going to be it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't expecting to even have this many wagers to talk about. But as I keep kind of looping back to, if you have Bet365, there are an ample amount of opportunities this week in that, uh, you know, their version of a placement form of it. So you have that look for some plays. You're going to find some big discrepancies from the rest of the market. But other than that, no, I mean, it's not the, the greatest betting board other than Bet365 kind of giving us a present in that sense. Nick, any final thoughts? No, good luck to everybody this week. I'd say it's just a, it's a good lesson. I mean, I love your arbitrage example. That's fantastic. And then just don't force a bet this week because a lot of the numbers are gone and the whole percentages are through the roof at most of the books this week. Yep. <laughs> Again. So that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on the 100th episode of Links and Locks presented by bet365 once again you can leave a five-star rating on apple podcasts and we will select two winners for a prize next week to celebrate the 100th podcast of links and locks for more great content from our action network and golf bet team check out our best bets episode from earlier this week featuring golf bets jason sobel and the pga tours ben everell guys where can we find the rest of your work this week so you can find me on twitter at t sports you can find all the articles that I do over at Action Network and at Rotoballer. I do a bunch of podcast work for Win Daily. Uh, Nick and I do a show together called Better Golf Podcast. And the one thing that I never really tout on here that I would like to mention is I read off a lot of numbers on this show. All of that can be found in my model. I post it every single week on my Twitter, so be sure to follow me there. You can make a copy of that model. You can weigh the data how you see fit. It's the tool that I live and die by every single week. It's, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, I am the one creating it, but like, it is everything that like I make my answers around. And uh, it's a really good tool that I'm proud of. So if you're not doing so already, follow me on Twitter and you can make a copy of that spreadsheet and do some research of your own. Yeah. It's an incredibly valuable resource. And a lot of people pay money to have access to other databases and Spencer's just giving it to you guys for free. So definitely check it out. I highly recommend Nick, where can we find your work this week? Uh, just one daily still doing the NFL thing. And then uh, at better golf pod on Twitter, Spencer and I will be getting back to the swing of things right after this tournament. So I'm really excited for that too. We really break down the, uh, the DFS board, more of a course breakdown, all that good stuff and a lot of good banter. So I'm excited for that, but yeah, thanks for having us and good luck this week. Awesome. You can also find me at Roberto A213. Also going to have an article on a Pac-12 game later this week. Five and three on Pac-12 on uh, college football articles this year, and 16, nine and two on articles last year. So we'll try to keep it rolling this week. Only two more weeks for the Conference of Champions. So that'll do it for us on the 100th episode of Links and Locks. Thanks for tuning in, and here's to hoping you hit the green. <laughs>